I'm alive. Can you can you clean out the cat porn? <laughs> I'm sure I can. As long as it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the it's like the squirrel's nuts all over again. <laughs> For the fact the cat hates you, what a time to make an appearance. I don't know. He, he may go away. He's no too pally there. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Can I Interject, the podcast where three Scottish kinsmen discuss their topics for the week. Uh, we also discuss board games and our inimitable conspiracy corner. Uh, with me I've got Neil. Hello everyone. And Dan. Hi guys. Now before we kick off, just a quick quick mention, we're now contactable in a variety of ways. You can email us at caniinterjectpodcast at gmail.com and catch us on Twitter at can I at at can I interject so if you've got any questions if you picked up anything any other fact checks on our podcast that we've somehow missed uh, let us know if you'd like a shout out let us know if you've got any topics if you'd like to be a guest sure <laughs> we can facilitate that as well so let's let's kick off um, how's everybody's week's been, week's been let's start with you Dan my been fine on holiday now for a couple of weeks. I'm off for a couple of weeks, so this is halfway through week one now. What's the date? It's the, it's the 7th of October. Somebody's just stealing the time, aren't they? But, uh, yeah. Wish I could wish I could be exciting in, in some way or another about this. Just been really nice to put my feet up. Feet, my feet. Really good to put my feet up, not do anything. Just enjoy that time. And obviously working hard, putting all these podcasts together with all this free time I now have. So hopefully the quality will improve with all the time I've got. Great. Thanks, Dan. And Neil, what have you been up to? I'm enjoying my first week of unemployment due to in-between jobs, let's say. Congratulations. <laughs> so uh, just just a first time in living memory I've been without a job. Back to the days of my paper paper rounds when I was eleven, but we'll uh, gonna take a little break. Can you have a paper round when you're eleven? Uh, I helped out my sister <laughs> from the age of eleven, and I was in Edinburgh last weekend. Breaking lockdown again? <laughs> not breaking not breaking lockdown restrictions. I went go karting from a socially distance. Well, sometimes I guess you're just naturally distance in the cart. You're wearing helmets and balaclavas. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have ever been go-kart before. Gregor, you might have been to that one in... It's out by the airport, Edinburgh. I know the one you mean. I've not been to that one. I've been to the one at Larbert, though. Yeah, this one was kind of just a one-level, quite a small track, indoor track, but it was really good. Sustained injuries, I think, I've got from it. Did you see where you did it? Because I kept on getting different times. But, I mean, by the time you're on your fourth round, you've picked your line. You can't beat it, pretty much. They must be down to the car. Um, what I found, especially with go karting, is massively dependent on how heavy you are as well. Oh, wouldn't apply. We're all kind of the same weight, but I just noticed there were rounds that were all kind of taking the same line. I noticed because we're all driving around similar times, but there was always someone who would win, and it just must have been down to the car because it was just got to the end. You're like, you can't beat your own score. I don't, I don't think it is. I think, I mean, yeah. If you think about that. 
if you've done four laps, you've not got the optimal line. No, but you've got ten minutes solid of laps, and you're that you're talking. You're doing two laps a minute. I know, but there's there's no way you could optimize it in that time. though, is what I'm saying. Well, you've got twenty turn, twenty goes at it. I know, but you don't watch the F1, and Lewis Hamilton is like they're all all thinking right. I've cracked this. I spent probably the first two years of university playing F1 every day. So I think I've gone down. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but you would, the car wouldn't be a thing if it were that easy. If you could master it in 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, well, that's where F1 drivers start, Karen. Basically F4. And then just had a nice day. I went to a famous fish and chip shop in Edinburgh. Which one? Um, Berries. Never heard of it. <laughs> It's, I think it's only a year old. It's up on, it's up near the the grass market. Uh, yeah. Apart from that, just uh, going for walks, treating it as if I'm in a second lockdown. To be honest, now, just going for walks and eating, and you might be soon. Yeah, and I might be soon. What about you, Gregor? What have you been doing? I've I've had been quite quiet the last few weeks. Uh, just been busy with work, and I've got a, got a new game. One of my top 10 games, as discussed on a previous show, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 remake was released. So I've been playing that. Been enjoying it. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, advertised. And what console? Just on Steam? I think it's on Steam and Xbox as well, though. I would imagine it is. I think it is, yeah. So yeah, just, a, just pretty quiet for me. Although that's the, that's the, the shortest weeks that you guys have had. <laughs> the shortest two weeks you guys have had. Pro skater and two weeks off. Well, you, you, <laughs> you think you, you think you'd have more with two weeks off done? Yeah, no. <laughs> and I've just been sat and studying. Moving on to the first topic of the week, uh, Dan is going to speak to us about party leaders' expenses. That is the UK political party leaders' expenses, as in their expense reports. Take it away, Dan. <laughs> Thank you for that. Truly inspiring and real rousing introduction there, Gregor. <laughs> really, really felt the enthusiasm in it. And it, let's let's well, let's let's get into brass tacks with this straight away. This isn't really my topic. This is really Neil's topic because he brought he brought it up the other day. Brass tacks, brilliant. He sends you know my own business, and we receive notification from from Neil. You don't need to tell us the source. Enough for that. You know the latest the latest figures. I don't want to tell you. I'm not going to tell you the source <laughs> of uh, of of MPs' expenses. And uh, for those of you not in the know, not in the loop, I'm going to give a bit of context to this before I go into any detail about the more recent stuff. Just because the allowance, basically, or money that is allowed for MPs to spend and to also to reclaim it back, so they could use it for rent. They could, or they could use it for a number of different things. However, back in uh, February 2018, a Freedom of Information request was put in to find out about what the actual expenses were that MPs were claiming and how much they were getting. It wasn't until July of 2009 that the expenses were released. Now, the problem had been that beforehand, in the, May, in the May of that year, the Telegraph, the Daily Telegraph, had gotten hold of the information and started slowly trickle-releasing it from the start of May. So by the time July came around, some of the information wasn't that much of a surprise. And it was it covered the expenses claimed between 2004 and 2008 by all MPs represented at the Westminster. And 
it immediately caused firestorm of of controversy and disbelief and you know it, most of it was quite straightforward the the num- the main issue that came out of it was that MPs were claiming money back on expenses for their second homes and this was this was very widespread and MPs were requ- required and requested to repay some of these expenses back and they paid back about almost half a million worth of expenses now there were criminal charges filed four MPs were charged in February 2010 for false accounting and they were jailed and three peers in the House's House of Lords they were suspended in October 2010 so things were happening and there was a lot of controversy and people were quite upset and you know it wasn't just little names you know some big name examples would have been for example Tony Blair who uh, had uh, by mistake had his expense sheets shredded purely by mistake obviously he was he was wasn't covering anything up I've no doubt uh, Caroline Spellman uh, she paid her nanny between 1997 and 1998, became known as Nanny Gate, imaginative name as usual. So she was using exp- expense money. She was claiming money back to pay for a nanny. Uh, the couple, Ed Balls and Yvette Cooper, they bought a £655,000 London house. And um, Tony McNulty and Ed Pickles, Tony McNulty from Labour, Ed Pickles, Conservative, claimed for second homes. And the homes were just basically just down the road in their constituency. I think they were no more than 30, 35 miles away from their actual homes. So there's no need for that. Some more colourful examples were the £1,645 for what was described as a floating duck island for somebody's back back garden. Uh, somebody else pay, claimed 55 pence back for a Horlicks. Another one was £115 to pay someone to replace 25 light bulbs. They hired them, they had hired an engineer to replace 25 lights for them and paid them 115 quid. Just I thought, I'll just stop there for a moment and say, do you guys remember when all this kicked off? And I'm sure some of these examples will probably remind you of happier times. I do remember, yeah. I remember there were expenses claimed for boat cleaning services. That was the highlight for me, I think. I don't think I recall this. What year? This was 2008-2009-2010. Surely if it was Tony Blair's year, that had bigger things to fry in my mind. It's not as if there was a financial crisis going on or anything. No, yeah. Perfect timing. I wasn't in the, the news I wasn't in the news sphere at that point in my life, no. no I, I remember it vividly. I was still, I was still in high school. I, I just left high school. I was in university. Well, university, you're a bit more involved with... Uh, well, you'd have been 18, Neil, 19. You left school in 2009. I left in 2009. But no, I don't remember the... I don't remember... But was it so yeah, so that, that all kicked off and that sort of... That changed the way that the oversight and the regulation of expenses are done. And now every year, because we're really lucky now, all the relevant information is released and there's the annual report and you can actually see how much every MP is spending, how much they are spending on individual things and how the money actually breaks down. And as I said, I barely thought about this unless you unless you see things in the news or anything, you don't really pay attention to it. But Neil and myself and Gregor a list of the top four expense like total expense claims. 
and the numbers were so high and I was so incensed because I made the fundamental mistake of what well, we all did, the fundamental mistake of actually looking this stuff up. Um, so I became quite quite incensed about it all and actually started studying in more and more annoyed that, you know what, your chest. So that's what I'm doing. And for the latest one, I've, I've, I've only looked up, well, I say only, the main ones I've looked up are, are the four main party leaders in Westminster. Okay. And one of the, one of the interesting things I found, I'll, I'll start off with our glorious leader, the fridge king himself, the man who's always can be found. They seek him here, they seek him everywhere. Always ready, always ready to, always ready to be heard. Always darting in and out of buildings and heard making whatever that noise was he made the other day. <laughs> Wearing hard hats and driving bulldozers. Surely someone is with that's done so little manual labour has never worn a hard hard hat for so many minutes. I've seen, I've seen, I'm wearing a hard hat a lot recently. Yeah, that's all it does. It goes to different sites, different construction places, manufacturing units. Yeah, what am I saying? Boris, big Boris Johnson, Prime Minister of this fine United Kingdom. And his expenses for the last financial year, anyone wants to hazard a guess? Unless you've already looked it up. 20,000. Oh, I see. Neil's put a bit of thought into it now. I, no, I was, but we have to anticipate, is this including flights to Europe? Because that's, if that's, if that is that bought by the company or is that? It's not long back from Italy. Yeah, because he's over anybody flying all over. He's flying to Europe constantly. How many public appearances does he make, though? <laughs> I know, but yeah, good one. Um, but, so I was, I would assume it'll be very high because of the flights, but I don't know if the flights are, if it's expensed or not. Michelle Barney, he met with Macron and he doesn't get the train. <laughs> you save the train, Jack. You save that for a bit, don't you worry. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the number. £7,473. And I'm going to tell you for why, because I was looking at it and I thought, that's a ridiculous number. For half of the last financial year, he was Prime Minister. His expenses aren't MP expenses. They're expenses out of the office. So <laughs> we can only speculate unless we can know where to find them, uh, how much his expenses are, because his expenses are for Prime Minister's use as a the Prime Minister, I suppose Prime Minister's prerogative. So what, uh, what do you mean? So this is 7,000 for... Being an MP. Did it, if you, is, was there a breakdown? Of course there was a breakdown. Well, we know since becoming Prime Minister, he spent 900,000 decorating a plane. There you are. But that's not MP expenses. No, it's not. That's a whole other level. That's that Ian Blackford could only dream of that sort of indulgence. <laughs> Save it. Save it. Don't worry, I'm coming up. To- I've got a lot written down about him. <laughs> I'd hate to be accused of being biased. Yeah, this is this is based. I think this would be clearly based on before he became uh, Führer. So you can say Führer. <laughs> no, I wasn't about to change it. I better keep Führer in anyway. <laughs> so Boris paid. He paid two thousand five hundred seventy-eight pounds for stationery and printing. He paid one thousand five hundred pounds for software and applications. He paid two hundred. Is that from Jennifer Curie? 
It's for photoshopping himself into in a hard hat. <laughs> yeah, you can find him in a bulldozer, a dumper truck. He he drive he drives the dustbins. He drives the dustbins around Camden. <laughs> it's construction yard simulator. He just sits there with hard hat on. <laughs> you wait till you, you wait till you see him on the road. What's that roller coaster game you used to get? Tycoon or theme park? Yeah, we will be doing that. So yeah. So all the money that he Boris has spent has there's been nothing like, there's nothing particularly exciting, and it's just seven grand. Which you know his prime minister is obviously spending a lot more money than that, but that's money that's allocated to it rather than necessarily money that he's going to have to claim back any of it for. And um, so then we lead follow on to our our glorious leader of the opposition, the man who toppled the great Marxist Leninist. The last great socialist. The last, that's it. Toppled the last great socialist after, what's his name, the guys in charge of the, of Unite. Um, Arthur Scargill. Oh, that's a sensitive subject. When you bring Arthur into this, you know I get funny about Arthur. Anyway, anyway, by the by, just digressing. So, yeah, so Sir, Sir Keir Starmer, leader of Her Majesty's Opposition and leader of the Labour Party at Westminster. And any guesses on his totals? 20,000. And where does he live? He's northern, isn't he? Midlands. Southerner. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be one of those. It'll be one of those. London. <laughs> West Country. Welsh. Welsh. <laughs> you see, you western Isle sometimes. Um, okay, I'm going to go 35. Uh, hang on, Keir Starmer's constituency is Holborn and St Pancras. Ah, oh, it could be closer. That's walking distance. Oh, minus minus two thousand. He's in, he's in, he's in, Camden. A pound a day for the Boris bike. Oh, he'd be, be Borising everywhere. And so, Gregory, you were closest with nineteen thousand three hundred and seventy. Oh, I'll take that. Six thirty out. I'll dro- I'll drop the pennies. I won't go into the yeah. Not bad. Um, he of that he pays seven thousand seven hundred pounds for rent. He has oh, he has claimed back seven thousand seven hundred pounds for rent. For equipment was four hundred nine pounds, and for newspapers, journals, and magazines fifty two pounds. He wouldn't even buy his own copy of the Morning Star. That's shocking. However, for travel was zero. Well, you can walk, like you can walk from Holborn. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So he hasn't claimed. So even though, even though he's, he's claiming money back for the Guardian and the Independent, he's he's not paying you. They're not charging you for travel, so we can't take. You can't resent him for that. I think that's fair. Paying for uh, like expensive periodicals because he may not read them otherwise. The, the, he needs to read the newspaper as part of his job. I think that's a a, a reasonable expense in the in the course of his duty. But the BBC's free online. I know, but you don't get the same sort of. You don't get Marina Hyde or John Crace and BBC, do you? That's very true. If, if you're relying on free media, you're stuck with Laura Kinsberg and Beth Rigby, both excellent correspondents. I'll have I'll have nothing nothing bad said about said about Laura. She's uh, she's she's my she's my favourite BBC political correspondent. I think Laura Kinsberg. I think she's very good. I think Sam Sam Coates is my favourite off Sky. But um, yes, so yes, yeah, so that was that was Keir, 
and I'll I'll go on to I'll get on, go on to we Ed Sir Ed Davy, the leader of the the once mighty Liberal Democrats, and any ballpark figures for what you think he claimed. What's his constituency? He is Kingston and Surbiton, near to Epsom and Sutton. Where are those near? Uh, Kingston, Surrey. Yeah, some I think home counties. Uh, Twenty thousand. Fifth, no, fifteen. Fifteen thousand. Yeah, case. So I'd, I'd put Ed above here. I'd say I'll put him at thirty-two. Just congestion charge alone. What do you say, Neil? I said fifteen. Mm, Greg is two for two. He's because uh, we will ignore Boris's. Um, he last ta- last last uh, last latest figures for nineteen twenty was twenty-five thousand one hundred and fifty-five pounds. He spent ten point four thousand. On rent. That's more than Keir Starmer. Yeah, I know. What do you mean on rent? Is he is he hotel? I don't know. I rec- I reckon he was I reckon he was late to the party when it came to get, getting properties. Um, I reckon they saw him coming a mile off. Oh, he comes out Lib Dem. Well, pop a couple of extra zeros on the end of the charges, and we'll bump up the price. Um, however, I did look. I thought I'd look at the previous. For some of them, I looked at the previous years as well, so we get a bit of perspective. But and apparently, in two thousand and eighteen nineteen. That that financial year, he claimed over a hundred and eighty thousand. Was that staffing? A lot of it was staffing, but this time around, he's gone to the staffing pool to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> Smart guy. So yeah, like it was sta- staffing last staffing two thousand and eighteen two thousand nineteen was a hundred and sixty one thousand. An office costs were twenty five thousand. I don't know what that means. That that must mean that they've. Maybe got in some sort of uh, contractor, I, don't, I presume. I don't know. Yeah, it's I, I, to work, and then they've had to, like in their office, and they've had to take the hit. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> right, can I drag? Let's drag this back a bit. Let's drag this back. Come on, I know you you're enjoying yourselves too much. This isn't good. This the listeners don't want you guys to enjoy yourselves. Give us Ian. <laughs> That's what the list. That's what the listeners are here for. <laughs> yeah, come on. I have a right. I have, I have arrived. I've arrived. The beast of the north. The scourge of sky. Last of the specters. The, the, the pillock of Plockton. Non, non, non-partisan. I could list. I could go on listing places from. I could get no more non-partisan if I tried. <laughs> so, if, if if listeners hadn't already guessed, and it's, it's lucky. It's lucky we don't have a massive uptake in Scotland. Um, Ian Blackford. The leader of the Scottish National Party in Westminster. He is the MP for my old stomping ground, the Isle of Sky, and the area around that. The area around that. It's basically half the Highland area. <laughs> no, it isn't. Don't do you do you start? They, they had to keep dividing it up. They've made it smaller and smaller over the years. By population, it is. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. But that's that. By the by, now, the problem with this is I can't I can't ask you guys to guess because you've already seen the numbers. We know. That's it. But this is this is according this is according to the this is according to the IPSA, the Independent Parla- Parliamentary something or other accounting something or other um so ian blackford who is who, who is totaling at ninety five thousand six hundred and twenty nine pounds and 75 pence because i'm not going to give let him away with the pennies he's got to keep for the pennies as well was that the horlicks well you got you got you got done with the horlicks because that's an extra 20 pence on top 
rate of inflation and all that has not been good for the Horlix industry. Yeah, so, you know, let, let, let's do we dive straight into the the, the, the nitty gritty stuff or do we, I will stop, you know, we talked about rent. So his, his renting costs for that year were 19,500. The property price of the sky of Long Green, uh, I mean, is, uh, the property bubble in the sky is even bigger in London. That is not sky renting. That wasn't, that was, that was, that wasn't even a bed, a one, a one bed basement flat. Well, I think that makes sense because presumably it is rent and accommodation and it covers, it stays um, near Westminster. Well, that's what that's what the thing is for. He already owns his own property on Sky. He lives there. What was it? Eighteen grand. Nineteen grand. Nineteen and a half. How many nights at the Savoy can he get for that? How much, Dan? How many nights at the Savoy? I don't know how much is a night at the Savoy. I, I can't be looking up everything. For like seven seven or eight hundred. The typical expenses for a London hotel are at least. 150, 160 quid. Hang on. Let me, let me, get, let me, get, his, let me get his file up. I don't think he'd be in the Premier Inn either. Yeah, neither would I. Like, the I was in Houston. I used to stay at that. It was 140. It was... So he paid... So, ho! Oh, his monthly rent cost was £1,850. And he was in Westminster twice a month? No, only on a Wednesday. He was only four times a month when it's on. He went. used to go in on a Wednesday and he'd ask a really long-winded, self-righteous question. And Boris would just... He'd got, a, he'd got a follow-up. And Boris just goes, no. And then the, and that's, his, that's his question answered. And he's just... And that's costing him £1,850 a month. That's ridiculous. He's in there for the voting and things as well, so... Um, and then he paid, like, £933 council tax. Council tax? Yeah, he pre- he's obviously got property down there. Staying in a property is rent to you. He's paying council tax on it. <laughs> well, he must have been... That's not many months council tax. No, no, in London it's not. He'll get a single up... You'll get a single occupancy. The, no, London council tax is actually cheap compared to everyone else. The, the property density is very high. No, it's because it's based on your property price in 1990. So loads of areas in London would not have had a high property value in 1990, but they have an exceptionally high property value now. That's that. See, it's like like we've said in a previous podcast. You should be invested in the. You should have been invested in the in the London properties back in the late 80s and 90s. And the professional golf tour. And the professional golf tour. See, we we all we all made mistakes when we were still in our nappies. So yeah, so that that was that was his rent. So that was you know we're talking about rent for the others. Uh, what else was there? U- utilities, newspapers, right? Newspapers. This guy is getting the West Highland Free Press personally delivered to him by a chauffeur from somewhere like Skabost. Because his total guess, guess his total uh, newspaper. It's extortionate. I remember thinking, how could he spend that? <laughs> newspaper journals and magazines. Neil, how much in a year did he claim back on newspapers, journals, and magazines? Well, I can say two pound a day for a paper. Then fifty p delivery cost. I'd say thirteen hundred. Yeah, I'm well. That'd be fifteen hundred. No, that that'd be twelve. That was twelve fifty from me. Well, remember, Keir, Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer was fifty two. So. Ian Blackford claimed back £947.75. That's £3 a day. How much is FT these days? He can't even spell the FT, let alone read it. There's a very famous app that might appear later in the show that is for £9.99 a month. All the papers you want. Well, he's he's obviously been done by it then. It, it, it must be expensive getting the Scotsman in London, though. What, by carrier pigeon? What do you mean by carrier pigeon? By gold-plated delivery box? I don't think he reads the Scotsman. <laughs> no. He gets he gets the National and the West Highland Free Press, and that's the only ones he gets. And the Herald, the Scottish Herald. Oh, no! It's getting worse! <laughs> actually, no, it's, that's actually getting better. I prefer the Herald to the National. 
Um, right, so I think we need to get onto like, the, the 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 sticky one because in Scotland, because the SNP represent the the majority seats for Westminster, for, I can't go down from Scotland. They represent the majority. Oh no, they don't represent. They're, they're the largest single party in the Scottish Parliament. It has to be said that they like to talk a lot about travel. And they're big believers in being environmentally friendly and using the rail. And they say, when we travel to Westminster, we are environmentally friendly and we're caring about the environment. Now, Mr. Blackford's travel, total travel expenses was £30,595. How much of that did he spend on the train? Less than a grand. Memory serves. I mean, the train costs. So, well, let's just break it down as the a first class train from Inverness to London will set you back about two hundred and fifty pounds max. No, it's a it's a hundred it's a hundred and fifty quid return. Is it first class? He's not going first class. He wants he wants to sit. No, he wants to sit with the people. He wants to sit with the people. He's one with the people. It's still not for Edinburgh. I found I found that ch- the cheapest ticket was one hundred and fifty quid. Return. He's okay. He's not taking the cheapest tickets, though, is he? He's he's taking the ticket that is business times. He's he's not getting it at all. But if he were to take the train, he'd be getting this. I think he'll be in the first. The first class sleeper must be about two hundred and fifty quid return. I think you get the sleeper. Do- I used to get the sleeper down and first class back up. Uh, that makes sense because you can get the five o'clock coming back up, and it gets you in that night. That's Edinburgh right enough. Yeah. No, sorry. You get the seven Edinburgh, so you probably get the five up to. It's over a 12-hour train on the sleeper from London to Inverness. It's a slow train. stops everywhere. So, for rail, he claimed back £1,037. For car travel, he claimed back £5,037. Well, he used to get to the train station and or airport. For flying, which we know is not good for the environment, is £17,410. How do we explain that? How did Flybeal go out of business? Can I, can I suggest? So, the main problem with the train is you don't get any loyalty points. And if you're taking the the flights up and down to London, the BA points soon rack up. Your AVOS points. It's also it's also quicker and it's also cheaper. Oh, God. <laughs> this is just... You know what? Who needs a script? Who needs any other topics? Let's just talk about this. Let's say goodnight. Thanks very much for that, Dan. <laughs> No, I just want it's, ah, don't you dare be coming to the end of that. I want to make an honorary mention to the the late great the late great Margaret Ferrier. She's not dead, but she doesn't have a party at the minute. And uh, it, between December, she only she only got elected in December uh, last December. In all fairness, she had she had been out of, out of a job, so she was she's elected she was elected in December. And between December and March, she claimed just over five thousand pounds on travel expenses. But I can't find any travel expenses for any recent trips that she's taken. Put her in jail. <laughs> it's good to see the to- the toys quiet for once, though, eh? Because they they know they can't criticise her. <laughs> Do you think Margaret Ferrier should step down? It's up to her. Well, no, she's been told to step down, and she's refused to. No, from uh, from Nicola, but not from the Tories. Well, no. Well, actually, yes, she has. Everyone's told her to step down. If, if Nicola's told you to step down. Everyone's told you to step down. I know, but if you look at the comments for the Tories, they're all like, "It's up for her to decide if she if she steps down or not." Nobody's called for her to, unless that's cha- unless that's changed in the last few days. You, but do, do you know why though? Yeah, because they can't say anything because of Dominic Cummings. No, but also the longer she has her seat, the more impotent the leadership look in the SNP that they can't even get one of their MPs to step down. Take your time, Margaret. It looks really good for the rest of us. Thank you, Dan. Well, thanks for that, guys. <laughs> Thanks very much for that, Dan. Uh, we'll move on to the board games topic next. This week, we've got Terraforming Mars as a board game. Now, this is the first game we're going to discuss. 
on this section that none of us have actually played in person. None of us own this game. We've all played it since lockdown began on our various devices. We talked about Board Game Geek last time. Um, this is rated as number four overall on Board Game Geek. So ex- exceedingly high um, out of, I mean, probably 100,000 games on this site. Yes, that's number four out of 120,000 games. So it's quite highly, highly rated. It was designed by... Uh, why do I choose these games? Jacob Frixelius. And it was released in... 2016. So Terraforming Mars is a game where, I mean it's from the title, you're uh, you're trying to terraform the planet Mars. You take the role of a corporation. Uh, you might have unique abilities. Uh, you need to create oceans, create forests, create cities on the planet Mars. And it's, it's two moons. And points are counted up in various ways at the end of the game and throughout the game. So you can you can actually set what the goals are by spending some of the in-game currency. You might particularly flush in science, for instance. You might make science one of the points scoring aspects at the the end of the game. It is quite complex, but I think the apps definitely helped us play it. Um, Well, we've played it a few times now. Um, Whereas, I think we touched on this before, but if you're playing this in person, you'd have a lot better understanding of what was going on. Whereas the first time, first few times we played it, there's a, there is a lot to take in, and so we were kind of just letting the app, the app guide us through, and then suddenly after a few games, you start to pick everything up. Yeah, it, it took it takes us, it, it takes a lot less time on the app as well. I think in person, this take a lot longer because you're shifting a lot of things about, and there'll be a lot more downtime between turns. But in the app, it's really really quick. Everyone moves around for for you, and you've got all the options laid out in front of you. So yeah, what are your guys' thoughts? Let's start with you this time, Neil. Uh, yeah, it was a great game. We played it. First time online, as you've mentioned, there's... I don't know, they, they, I did the... I still don't think I truly get it. It's because you've got... There's so much choice with those quests. So basically the situation is you've got... what well, you got a choice of 15 quests to start with, and then at your choice you could be bombarded with six different quests to choose from every single round. Yeah, I think it's four every round. I think you get ten to choose from to start with, and then it's four to choose after that and those are those are basically cards that you can choose to bring into your hand and then you'll play those cards throughout your turn so they could be maybe building a power plant to generate energy or building some sort of reservoir to create a lake those types of things but you've also got there's there's a lot to that still we, we need to play it probably maybe more long form i don't know you can't really play it in any other long form but i need to do tutorials because you've got yeah there's a lot to think about victory points is one thing that you're not really tracking on. And then you've got the three bars at the top where you've got projects and properties and everything to take. And then you've also got on top of that, you've got the, for your quest, you've got like microbes. And yeah, there's a lot, I think, to play it properly, I think it, you'll know you'll know this. Is it? Is there more to grasp on that when you play it in real life? I'd imagine so, but I've never played it in real life. But this is what I'm saying. If you're playing it in real life, you know... You need to understand what's going on to be able to play it. All right. So you'd be you'd understand it after the first playthrough, playing it face to face. But the app, you can kind of muddle your way through it just by clicking on different things that you know what you can do. You need a cheat sheet in real life. Yeah. Whereas you need to actually know what you're doing, so you know what to take and then what to put where and things. Whereas you don't need to do that now because it does it all for you, and you don't even you don't even count it with points at the end and like that. Dan, your thoughts? I really enjoy the game. I quite I quite like it. It's uh. Like you say, it's it's an unusual one because we haven't played it in real life. We don't have that 
relationship with it, if that makes sense. You know, when you got the when you got the the extra dynamic of having it, it you know, playing it in person, moving the pieces, it's far more tangible, and it's you know, it's more abstract when you're just playing it on online all the time which you know it's not it's not a criticism because it works and we've played it a few times and we've enjoyed it i agree with neil not totally 100 percent on what's actually going on some of the time but you know by the time we get to the end it sort of makes sense again but then when we play it again however many weeks later i'm kind of back to the same spot again going which one you know which company do i choose and what what cards do I choose and what does what and there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of factors involved as well. You have to be monitoring oxygen and temperature and water and stuff like that. And you know there's 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 a lot of small bits you need to be keeping an eye on as you're going through it. But I quite enjoy it. It it it's, it's been fun. Like it, I think it's been a fun experience trying to learn this game virtually. Rather than having that having that face to face experience of, of of learning it or you telling us half the rules and then telling us the half later, and you know having the the online version means that there is you know there's there's help available on the system, but it, it's not as it's not as straightforward necessarily as having the, the you know the personal help that you, we give each other whenever we play face to face. But I look forward to playing that eventually face to face. You know that'll be that'll be, it'll be good fun. We'll need to buy it. How much? I think it's about sixty or seventy quid. Well, we could all go in on it. Uh, well, have you seen it? Have you watched tutorials on how this is played in real life? Is the board huge, or is it just is it very similar to the? Hey, yeah, I don't, I don't know. The board's the same. So there seems to be a lot of cards and stuff in play. Yeah, there does. There seems to be a lot of pieces. I don't know how everything, like how all the sort of markers and things get set up round about. But I mean, I think I've got a decent enough understanding that I could could get through the first game without too much hassle. And it, when you're face to face as well, you can kind of point to things and say, "Look, oh, you can do that." Whereas you can't really do that online either, because you can't see what cards each other's got. That's it. And you're trying to explain to somebody about something on the game, and it doesn't come across the same when you cannot like visually show them. It's like, no, not that one. No, not that one. No, not that one. <laughs> so you get there eventually. It just takes longer, and especially if you're on a time limit. You know, with most with most of the games that we've played online, they've come with time limits. You know, this one has you know per turn. So it turns for for Terraforming Mars, and the same for um, Lords of Waterdeep last time round. There's the time limit. So unless you're really on the ball, then the time can run out pretty quickly. Can't it, Neil? It can indeed. I've been timed out once as well. I think I've missed it by like a couple of seconds. It's because of the animations of the person previous to you count towards your time as well. I've never been t- I've never been timed out. No, but you usually take about you know by the end of the night after you've had a couple of whiskeys, it's, it's Neil, Neil, go. <laughs> you've been sitting there for a minute and a half. Catan's your usual worst one, yeah. No, water deep as well. You can be quite bad. Well, yeah, because you have to press that stupid button twice. No one knows. Too busy, too busy listening to the soundtrack on water deep, thank you. <laughs> but I think I think as well that happened to me, like. You know, when we played, was it last time we played Terraforming Mars? I timed out, but that was because my laptop crashed. But the thing is, you, your time's still ticking away, so there's nothing you can do about it. You know, that, that was that was a criticism of my laptop and the internet connection rather than the game. But no, I enjoy it. It's a difficult one because we've, we've only played it online, um, but I'd probably give it a solid 7. My, my worry is, when we do play it face-to-face, it's going to take a lot longer. And it, it's quite a long game as it is. Like, it probably takes us, what, an hour and a half with the four, four of us online. So when you're factoring 
yeah, when you're factoring all the moving all the different pieces and things. Absolutely. I, th- I think it probably better be better served as like maybe a two or three player game, maybe a three player game, around four or five where we usually play. But yeah, I, I, I really enjoy it. Probably, I put it as a seven. I think for me, what about you two? What would you score as? I would say I would give it a seven as well. I was translating the three point five in my head, and I came away with seven. Uh, <laughs> my three and a half, my usual three and a half star. Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of good. Uh, I think. I think it's, it's definitely one in the. It's a common one. We all we always play it, and it's a. I, I like long games because yeah, there's you, there's more effort that goes into them. I, like, I do like I do enjoy longer games, not just about the cheap thrill. Uh, what about you, Dan? I I'll I'll probably give it a six. You know, I enjoy playing it, but I think it's more my frustration of not having it yet and having played it a few times. It's more of a you know, my experience, Mike's my, my gameplay experience. Therefore, is not the best. Because I'm not like if I was if I knew exactly what was going on, I'd probably score it higher. But just from my experience and my ability with it, I'll give it a six. Thanks, guys. We'll we'll go back to the classic game. If you hadn't noticed, we're doing a rotation between classic game and modern games. So that was a modern game. Back to a classic game next week to be decided, or in two weeks. Yeah, fortnight. Thanks very much, guys. Uh, we'll move on to our second topic now. I'm hosting this, and that is homebrew. So Homebrew is the <clears throat> manufacturer of low alcohol drinks in your own house for your own consumption. It's legal in the UK as long as you don't distill it and then it needs to be taxed, you need to be licensed. Uh, but you can make wine, you can make any sort of fermented beverage uh, that you can imagine. So, well, it's kind of ciders, beers, made wines, wines are the, the main the main categories. Uh, I've done homebrew for uh, on and off, but since university, so for the last, yes, say probably 10 or so years, 10, 12 years, I've started off with beer. You get these kits, uh, you, you've got this, these five gallon buckets, uh, you sterilize all the equipment to kill off any of the bacteria, or the unwanted bacteria. You then uh, put in the ingredients, pitch the yeast, and keep it uh, a temperature that you can survive at for the requisite amount of time, usually a few weeks. You then bottle it and you can put in a sugar, sugar solution to to carbonate it. Carbonate it. Uh, so it's, it's fizzy. I think the first few made, we made was a ginger sort of ginger beer. That is a, a, a beer that is ginger flavoured, which is nice. Never, never heard of that anywhere. Yeah. Really, it was it was just one of these kits. There was it's shut down now. There was a shop in Edinburgh that sold all we got all the supplies from. Uh, done a stout. And then we did a bit more sort of exotic things as well. I won't go into detail. And more recently, I've got into the mead making. Uh, so mead is a a drink that uses honey as its primary fermentable sugar. And yeah, it's, it's, it's alleged the oldest alcoholic drink, uh, just because I mean it it happened naturally. Uh, there was honey and water skins apparently, and the wild yeast would just ferment and create this alcoholic drink. And uh, Neil, I know you've done it as well. Dan, I don't know if you've experimented any sort of homebrew projects in the past. I, I've never done it. It's something I'd really like to do. Uh, years ago, and as you as you guys know, I used to work for. Um, a well-known drinks company and when I worked there I learned how to make most things really because it's sort of what you pick up 
and it's up. It was a distillery, wasn't it? Whiskey distillery. It was a whiskey distillery, yes. Uh, but that doesn't mean. But we still. I mean, in the process of producing whiskey, you still have to make a very rough beer to start off with. So it's 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 a similar you know stuff with a similar process, similar to making wine as well and meads and ciders and things like that. So it's it, you know it all shares a lot of commonality with other drinks. So I always find it really interesting. I really enjoy learning about it and understanding about it and. I'd really like the opportunity one day to actually do that. Maybe wait until the kids have grown up and they've left the house, so I've got somewhere to actually store it. Yeah, Neil, what have your what have your experiences been? Um, mine's all started was well, I actually I actually started um, when I saw these things in a supermarket where it was a keg of beer, and all you did was add water into it, uh, and it was also all the fermentation mixture was in it, and then tries and failed. I even messed that up where you can, if you, yeah, if you don't leave a slight air hole, <laughs> the the container was almost like a an oval structure. Two days in, <laughs> and then you and then you open the air hole and there's spray everywhere. It's a bit of an off off, off the wall thing to do, especially I know it's uh, you were doing some this. Uh, Alcohol making Gregor, but yeah, he said. And then, I mean, it was garbage when I tried it. But he said, yeah, it was like a pound pound a bottle. It worked out as so. Started off with red and kept on doing it, and you and yeah, tried all the wines I liked. But then, more recently, it was last year, I started going into the high quality. I wasn't. I was more about. Well, it's probably better to make it. It's not really about that much about the great. But I made a Chablis and a Chenin Blanc last year. This year, before lock during lockdown, I made a Chablis and a Chenin Blanc, and they were Chablis was the best wine I've ever made. I've stuck to the whites, maybe because it maybe because it was summer. But I'm thinking of obviously was, I think it was out of stock because of lockdown. But I'm getting back into. It. I really enjoy it. I enjoy the because you get the kits. Um, I don't know how you do. You probably just buy all the raw ingredients yourself. But what I do is I I buy the kit and then I use my own yeast. I use my own bentonite. I use my own. I still the only thing I usually use out their kits is the cleaning products and this and the actual syrup to make it. So I just I, I just buy it for the syrup, and I exper- experiment for myself around the other sides of it. But I just I, I I mean I like how quick wine takes to make. You get a cheap you can get a cheap kit and you could make thirty bottles in seven days. It's crazy. Yeah, the Chablis was a really good wine. That that took three to four weeks. But yes. Yeah, Yes, it's just uh, it's it's very good to know how it's made, and know how plentiful it can become at your fingertips. But do you is it is it like a labour of love for you, Gregor? Because I mean, you're talking six months to a year for for brewing this. It's quite an involved hobby, I suppose. Or it doesn't need to be involved. As you say, you can pick up these kits and you can make it quite with without too much effort. You can just kind of forget about it. But with the mead, I think there's a bit more going on because the honey, whereas the grape juice has got the all the nutrients and yeast it needs to kind of ferment as it should. The honey's quite acidic in comparison, and it's it's um, antibacterial by nature, and so it's it doesn't have all the nutrients that sort of elicits fermentation. And so you've got this whole process where you start on day one, you put in the yeast, pitch the yeast with some basically yeast food, like yeast energizer, yeast nutrient. And then you need to go through the process the next couple of days of staggering that nutrient addition. And then you can... There's varied schools of thought on this, but I, I just tend to leave it after that. And then I might rack it 
so, so it's in the container so I just use the one gallon carboys the glass carboys and I just leave it the yeast will settle by itself after it's it's done its thing and it's either fermented out all the sugar or it's hit its maximum alcohol content it's usually I started off with the meats with low sugar content start I'm just working my way up so they're all dry meats to begin with I think they started off about 11% and I think the latest one was about 15 thereabouts 14 half 15 and so I'm going to get this next couple of batches I put on in fact the two batches I've got on just now are or will be kind of semi-sweet meats so they'll end up with residual sugar which means the yeast hasn't fermented out all the sugar because it hit an alcohol level that it couldn't live at any longer and, and so they'll just keep kind of going up the scale of sugar for the next couple of batches and then once I've got once I've done a good run through I think the next step will be I think the good thing about meat is as well whereas you're buying the kits for the wine you, you're basically doing everything from scratch from the meat and so you put in your own ingredients and so I've got honey's obviously the base sugar but you can add in like grape syrup and you can get a piment. You've got add in apple juice, like just shop but apple juice, and you've got a sizer. So it's like a mixture of apple and honey, or for the piment, it's grapes and honey. And you can add all sorts of different spices and all sorts of different flavours. So it's, it, it is kind of, I feel like a quite involved hobby. I've got a little book that I wrote note down all the recipes in, um, what I did at each stage. So if it was a really good one, you can replicate it later on. You can see what variables you change and what kind of impact that has as well. So it's, yeah, it's really, it's really good. I've got a few bottles left off from batches from last year. But as you say, it takes up a while to... I mean, you could drink it a lot quicker. and But the long, if you leave it up to six months, a year, two years, it's going to taste better. Yeah, I've tried to use the... I made Christmas wines. I've made apricot wines. Just having a bit grape juice. Or even I'll put half the grape juice in and then just add my own fruits in. Christmas wine was, yeah, it was really good. It's just, uh, wine's just, you can make, you can be a complete donut about it and do it okay. I mean, the making it taste nice is about the temperature and starting the yeast off and treating it well. But in theory, you could just put in water, grape juice and yeast and chuck it in there and leave it for two weeks, come back and chuck the other hair things in, leave it two days and rack it. Do you, if for the, do you need to add any of the, yeast nutrient in or does it just all work with the syrup that you provided no there's no nutrient right oak chips but no nutrient that's for aging though have you used oak chips uh yeah where did, did you just get them online because i'd looked at that before for aging it but i just i, I thought maybe further down the line but not necessarily uh no you can choose to you can get them from the site that i get them from right uh for the kits they recommend it i'll probably look at that at some point as well then. for reds yeah so what would your first protocol be then dan for if you were going to look into this hobby we're doing a beer you're a beer drinker i'm a i'm an anything drinker well true <laughs> you know we've drunk plenty of plenty of things together of all types i'll bring my grandpa next time then oh I've got two bot. I've got two bottles of that. I don't need to. Drink, I don't need more bottles to drink from. Um, I don't. I don't know to be honest. I've never really thought about where I'd start. I assume beers, beers and wines must take about the same length of time. Yes. No beer. Yeah, I would say so. More or less. More or less. I mean, you know, with beers, you have to. With beers, with beers, you have to factor in like putting in the hops or the aromatics or anything like that. To, any of those variables. You have to malt the barley and everything. Yeah, beer's a bit more involved in the setup though, because you do need to like create the ma- like boil it up and everything. Whereas the wine, you're just mixed together and <laughs> close to the lid. Grapes, water, and yeast. Yeah, it's just grapes, water, and yeast. That's all it is. Yeah, I'd like to. 
don't know. I probably want to try a bit of everything, to be honest. You know, just have, have a wee dabble at everything. I don't think I could do mead. I don't have the patience to wait that long to get. And I, I, I've not tried yours yet, so I'll probably I'll reserve judgment on even considering making it before I, until I've tried yours. Yeah, I don't know what. Like I said, I'd like to try everything. I'd like to... I wouldn't, I wouldn't make red wine because red wine doesn't agree with me anymore. Not like it used to. What? Why not? I get really bad heartburn. The sausage rolls of the of the 30s. <laughs> <laughs> the Greg sausage rolls of the drinking world. No, no. Uh, red red wine. Red wine's my Achilles. My Achilles here when it comes to drinks. So I'd probably avoid avoid making that. I like to, you know, I like white. I make white or I try white beer. Maybe try some cider. White, um... Very big fan of white now, unless it's with a, a meal. Yeah, it's grown on me as well, which is really strange. It's I never used to like it, but I do like it more now. I've always drunk red, very rarely half white. Summer's summer's been wearing off in me this year. But I think I think the thing about meat as well is it's not very common, and it is quite expensive. And it is more expensive to make wine just because of the price of honey. It's went through a growth period, definitely. Certainly in America, there there's been a an uptick in the amount of sort of meaderies that there are, like professional meaderies. Um, so I guess it's just coming over to, to the UK now. Step aside, gin. I don't know if it's quite that level yet. <laughs> I mean, it is... It, 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 if you're not distilling it, it's just a liqueur. And it's the problem is the honey now, because it's, it's so dear. Honey's been up so much in the last 10 years. And it's not, it's not a crop either. So you can't harvest it the same way you can grapes uh, i think as well if, uh, and with with gins vodkas as well you know you can't compete with something that can be mass produced like it can be i mean you can make a gin so easily and you can make a vodka so easily because you basically just use the same spirit but for most other drinks like even though you know even though we, we can say that wine and beer are actually quite quick to make to actually get them produced and you know, processed and canned or bottled or whatever and put on production line, it probably takes, it won't take, it won't take, I don't think it'll take longer, but it's, it's not as, beer and, it's not as straightforward as something like gin because they have, it's, it's in Fife and it's where they produce the spirit for like Gordon's and for Smirnoff and for people like that. And it's just the same stuff that they produce. Like it's just, it's just continuously distilled. And it's continuously being produced. It's just sugar and water. It's just it's just sugar, water, and grain. Yeast. That's why. Yeah. Gin uses grain. Gin, gin and vodka are the same thing. The spirit is exactly the same. Yeah. It's just sugar, water, sugar, water, and yeast. What are you saying? Grain and grain. Don't forget your grain. Yeah. It is. It's. It's. Yeah. And it doesn't. Ne- and it's just wheat grain. It's nothing particularly fancy. And it is, it's, it's all about what they do with the spirit afterwards that turns it into either vodka or gin. The botanicals. Well, no, you have to put it over charcoal. If you did nothing with it, it's vodka. But how much does it really, how much can vodka really react with diamonds enough to flavour it? Well, it doesn't flavour, it takes out impurities. It's all about the pur- purification of the spirit rather than the flavours. Um, so, I mean, there's money in it. And, it, like, obviously, getting set up, it's all about the setup process, though, isn't it? Like, whether, you, whether you're doing homebrew, or whether you're doing, you know, if you're mass producing it in, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of gallons, it's all about the volume, and it's all about it's all about the setup, and it's all about getting into the position. Once you once you're producing it, it's easy peasy. 
but it's all about getting yourself set up for it and getting what you need. And like you say, Greg, if you're making me jump to start from the start from scratch. I was watching a TV show this week, and there was a home brewer who's there's this was a very common thing. Beer, craft beers is booming, obviously, in the UK. That's the that's the gin of the last three years. Uh, it's absolutely booming, and it's even, and there's a lot of people on these little local distilleries. There's a lot of people built on, but even the guy said there's no money in making beer. It's just like a, a love of it because it's such a competitive market now. And a lot of these places produce uh, beers before they produce a spirit anyway, because it's almost like they've got to have something to sort of keep themselves ticking over. So like like Eden Mill Distillery, they produced a lot of beers. But they were waiting for their whiskey to mature because they had to wait three years to actually get a whiskey to <laughs> to sell. And in pandemics, they make hand sanitizer. Exactly. How, like a lot of breweries go from beer to to gin. Gin's quite a common one. Even Brewdog. Brewdog started producing its own gin. It's quite difficult to make beers though. I like homebrew it. A decent beer that's not from a kit to get the barley and everything. Yeah, malt it. Yeah, whereas to get the right mix of hops and things, and there's so many good beers out there now, like the, the craft beers. There's so many good ones. Well, there's only three ingredients. I know, but getting that mix right is really difficult. Like I remember trying it, even for ones for the kits, we got sometimes didn't work out right. That are, it, it didn't taste very good, even though it, <laughs> the process was correct. If you know what I mean, they tasted as they were meant to taste, but they weren't that great. Whereas with wine and mead and I imagine cider as well. These are a lot more sort of basic in terms of not basic, but there's a lot. There's plenty that can go wrong, but once you've got the process down, we, I think our, our own standards have been set so high as well because of the quality of what we get. So you know, you you could you could be you could spend five, ten, fifteen years drinking beer and going, well, I like this one, I don't like that one, and then when you come around to actually making it yourself, you're trying to replicate because you know what you like and. I think it's a lot harder with beer because, I mean, that's not to take things away from wine, but I think wine's a lot simpler than beer, and cider's a lot simpler beer. It's a lot less. It's a lot less. They're, they're both a lot less. They're all a lot less varied. Beer's got a lot. Got much more variety now. I think. So now wine's got a lot of variety as well, but not in the same. Not the same breadth of flavour that beer's now got. It's it's more like a beer's more like a spirit now because spirits have this the. You know, like I say, f- five years of working with whiskey, you pick up the subtleties. You know, you know, you learn about the subtleties, and beers a lot like that now. There are those subtleties, and there are particular, and it's such a competition now between different microbreweries and you know local breweries to 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 produce something that everyone's going to enjoy. I mean, there's, I mean, whiskey's probably the most far fetched of all. We were went whiskey tasting and. Edinburgh on Saturday, not whiskey drinkers, but we went from a Loch Nagar, which is quite light and smoky, and we're all doing around each and ends. Like someone else picked up, someone else picked up a Lafroig, fourteen year. And I thought, wait a minute, <laughs> we'd be quite smoky that one. It says, oh, it's fine, <laughs> but yeah, then they had Lechig as well, and they were just, just it's just like drinking a bonfire. Oh, that's nice Lechig. Oh, so good. But yes, yeah, so the 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 flavour you get in. Whiskey is far flung from any other spirit as well. So I suppose the problem with lockdown uh, and all this is that one of the best things about the home brew is that you get to share with other people, which we've not really had the opportunity to since I've had the meat rolling off. Well, I, I seem to make a, a, a batch of about 50 half-litre bottles and about a third of them went bye-bye, which I regret because it was my best ever. Well, Neil's got the 
Neil's got an industrial process with five gallon tubs, I've only got a one gallon carboys. And I need to age it for a year, so it's not quite the same turnaround time I've got <laughs> to be pumping out pumping out seventy CL bottles. That's about And Greggy, you 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 you're still working, Neil's got free time to do this now. Although yeah, well the reason I brought this up actually is because I'm gonna I'm gonna do I've got two batches on the now, two gallons on. I'm going to do another two this weekend because I've been busy and I've been meaning to get it done. So I'm going to get two done this weekend. I was thinking about doing the sizer, which is the apple juice and uh, honey. But I think I'm going to go with my original plan, which was the, I think it was four and a half pounds of honey per gallon. So I'll have my, it'll be a sweet mead, but it'll also be about 14 or 15%. Apple juice will be the next deviation. And then I think I'll do the sugar, the, the grape syrup. And then I'll move on to a bit more... Might start looking at aging on oak chips and things like that. After that, we'll have to do a wee tasting session when we get a in-person board game night. Well, I've kept back two bottles of every because I've not I've not done the taste notes or anything on the ones I've done so far because they'd only age for like six nine months. But hopefully, once lockdown's over, I'll be able to do a couple of tasting sessions with one with each bottle, and we can actually get some proper. Because I'll, I'll need to put that down in my, my book as well. We're all seasoned pros when it comes to nosing and tasting. I'm sure we can all come up with an imaginative descriptors so thanks guys I don't know if there's anything else we want to discuss before wrapping up this topic I'm happy I'm happy uh, we could check back in a few weeks on this actually if, just to, to see how we're getting on well thanks very much guys um, that was Homebrew look forward to checking back in on that in a few weeks but next we have Neil with her top 10 and this week it's Phone Apps Thank you, Gregor. So, yeah, so I chose this topic as we've heavily discussed food. If you've listened to the previous episodes, I think the food features quite a lot. We've also covered the entertainment industry quite a lot in the top tens. I think that's the only two top tens we've covered so far. So I'm going off kilter here with my top ten favourite phone apps. I've gone well off kilter. You're the the ones that like to hang on to you. Top ten musicals. Top ten dead people you'd want to meet. Top ten fast food beniums. The people loved it. That is yet to be decided. Comments to caniointerjectpodcast at gmail.com. But yeah, so phones are a huge part of our life these days. There's no ifs, ands or buts about it. Um, so I'm going to go through my top 10 I'm coming from this from an iPhone user so I actually did a quick after I compiled this list I did a quick Google search and every single list was Android so I didn't even bother looking at them so I'm not sure how much this differs I've got an Android but I don't use you that much um, these are probably very these are the ones I use quite frequently all these apps number number 10 has got to be Google Maps used to that probably about 6 months ago would have been my top 3 but as it was my go-to, my car's got Sanav in it, and compared to Google Maps, it's useless. But I feel recently it's it's been lacking. I don't know why, because as data's increasing, it's getting better. But the history behind this is it's got unbelievably accurate traffic updates. It's only recently just added speed updates. And it was always the go-to app for walking, cycling, Car, train, everything. It's a go. It's a go-to, and it's got a lot of AI inbuilt inbuilt into it. A lot of user feedback as well. That's how they also determine. They've even got user feedback to determine temporary cameras as well. So yeah, it's a go-to app. Um, I probably use it everything apart from driving now. When living in London, absolutely phenomenal app. 
Uh, okay, number nine, got the Garmin Connect. I guess this is kind of a proxy off of my watch, but the data you can get off that thing's unbelievable. It's calories, it, it connects to so many different apps. MyFitnessPal, for example, um, it's, it'll show you your sleep. Again, I don't know how accurate these sleep trackers are, but it seems to be very in-depth about how you're sleeping, your, your awake time. Um, there's some of the tracking stuff, such as skiing, when your ski speeds, the golf it's got golf, got great golf tracking on it. Great fitness tracker all round in the app. It's got an unbelievable amount of data on it for all fitness people. Number eight, I've got Chrome Remote Desktop. I use Remote Desktop every day on my phone and laptop to go into my home desktop. And Team Viewer, there's for a free app, it's just so unbelievably easy and seamless. You can access your home. You can access your home PC within seconds from your phone anywhere and it honestly takes seconds just to set up. You just need Google accounts signed in on both sides and it's so easy. So yeah, so that's a frequent one that I'm, I'm in use. One that's come onto the scene along with, well this is probably one of the initial things a phone should be used for along with texting and phoning is the calendar. What would you call it? Your personal assistant. So the personal assistant, it's now the one I use is just, I think Google Calendar and Apple Calendar, they all sync up to your flights, your trains, all the apps you use on your phone. I find it very easy. Dinners, it's your, it connects to your work, every, your mail, everything that connects up and automatically logs into your calendar. And yeah, unlimited options with that. So good if you're a busy person and got a lot of things to catch up on. Number six, I've got a bit of a niche one here, but the only niche one on the list is CoinStats. It's a cryptocurrency platform portfolio tracker. It gives you live feed for the top 5,000, stay awake Dan, top 5,000 cryptocurrencies, if not more. I wasn't sleepy, I was just despairing. <laughs> um, cryptocurrency portfolio tracker you can trade from it you can track track all your accounts It's it works like that like a bank account tracker where it can log into all your bank accounts and give you a live feed of what's in your bank accounts and everything like that so it's, it's very good in that sense especially when there's over 5,000 cryptocurrencies just like the EPs would have guessed um, <laughs> number 5 we're getting into the <laughs> One of the old school apps, uh, Shazam. Have you guys ever used that? Uh, once at university. Yeah, I think I've used it once or twice. Oh my god. This came out along with... Well, when I got the iPhone 4, I got Shazam. And it's just... I mean, back in 2009, a technology where you, a phone can hazily pick up a song and reel off from the tens of billions of songs in its database and match it up within seconds is... Mind-blowing at times. To be honest, it's still mind-blowing because you're sitting. See, you could be sitting in a bar and you're playing with people chatting, and you can. It'll still pick up songs and recognise it. Still, still great technology. It's one of the ones on my home screen. So, top four. This one you might not. You should. You should definitely be familiar with this if you're not. Authenticator app. Please tell me you both are. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. You've never heard of it. Okay. 
this might... I'm not going to authenticate. Well, I think that's the problem then. Uh, <laughs> this is probably going to come in from someone who does cryptocurrency, who plays games, um, online security for banks. Authenticator app is developed by Google. It's a, it's a six code. So basically what you do is... It's a, I can show you on the app. Great for listeners, this is. Great for your listeners. It's just code, it's a code of six digits that refreshes every 30 seconds. And only you have the code to that. So say, for example, I want to log into one of my gaming accounts. I would have to enter one of those codes that would refresh in this. So I wait for the 30 seconds and it would refresh and I'd have to enter that code so no one can hack into it. It's basically, it basically makes anything hack proof because they can't hack your authenticator. Because it's personal to your phone. So can you use this in anything? I use it for Google. I use it for Gmail. It's called two-step two step authentication can be MSS or Authenticator. Right. But I, you can't use it for anything, though. No, it has to be compatible. But most most things that have security will ask you for 2FA, two-factor authentication. And almost everything uses the Authenticator app that uses 2FA. But yeah, I've got... Maybe like 12 different accounts built into that. It just makes things hack-proof, basically. So even if someone got your username and password. I have been needing to update my security, actually, so I might look into that. It's, it, you know, see, the Gmail account goes straight to it. SMS is also a good thing, but I'm not sure if... That's probably not as safe as the Authenticator app. Um, but uh, yeah, that's number one in online security in, over the last few years. Um, so number three. Go on, Dan, hit us with number three. What's... Uh, you go first. My number three, four. To be honest with you, I'm looking and it's like, I'm going to do a Gregor. Well, uh, there's so many options and there's so many variables I have to take into account when I consider all my options with regards to potentially picking an app, which may be my top three or not. Um, but my number three is going to be Duolingo, the the language app. Ooh. I, I, I really, I've used it in the past just to, to brush up on languages and I quite enjoy it. And then they introduced a Gaelic feature and I did the assessment for that and I passed it with flying colours and it's it's really good just <laughs> you know I good to know as a fluent speaker. I felt exactly the same. I was so stressed. Uh, but it's it, I think it's really accessible. It's really straightforward. There's lots of great options for languages. It's very diverse obviously if they've got Gaelic and it's free as well. So you can't say fairer than that. I would agree with that. I, I've used it before. An unbelievable app for learning new languages. Pick up things very quickly. Gregor, what you? What's your number three? This was a difficult list in two ways to make up because originally I thought there wasn't enough apps that were worthy of this list and then I realised there were more than enough apps that were worthy of this list. So, I mean, this is really difficult. See, listeners, you think I'm taking the p- I'm really not. <laughs> number three I'm going to go with Bloomberg oh come on what's wrong with Bloomberg I mean you could get Bloomberg on Apple News so you, you just, it's on every news app it's not for the news because I don't subscribe <laughs> obviously and I, I rarely use my 10 article l- limit per uh, per month but yep it's a watch list it's just so handy I've got three watches set up. One's my my accounts, like my my holdings, and the second one is like an actual watch list what I'm watching, and the third one's like other stuff that I'm holding outside my main accounts. And so it's really handy just to see the daily movements or the total movements because you've got the different sort of investment accounts. It's not all in one place, and you, 
you've not got a single dashboard, but this provides a single dashboard. I mean, it's not perfectly accurate because it doesn't uh, account for currency and things, <laughs> but it is, it's a really good one-stop shop, I think. It's pricing on your list, Neil. I use a couple of apps for daily movements. Minutely movements, I use plus 500. Daily movements, hourly movements, I use a stocks app on Apple, but it's not, in no way is it flashy. There's no, there's nothing behind it. It's just the price, and it's also quite delayed, so... No stock apps made my my list. I've used a f- I've used a few in the past. I used shareprice.com or org or something, um, and that was really good. That was live pricing, and I used Google Finance. But I, I don't know if Google Finance is a thing. It's certainly not what it used to be. I use Google Finance for well, I used well for for very basic lookups. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not to make any decisions off. It's just so I can see what see what's going on all, all in one place. But yeah, my number three, Bloomberg. Going on that theme, mine's is Apple News. Uh, a great tool. It's, it is available £9.99 a month if you chose, if you so wish, but I don't. But you do, you get to choose, you get to choose all your content. I wouldn't say it's AI, you're just choosing your content. So, for example, you've got football team you support, uh, you could pick PGA Tour, you can pick Certain magazines you can follow, certain newspapers you can every single article you can swipe if you like that article or dislike it. You'll it will it will teach the well, it'll decide on your future articles depending on that. Yeah, it's I guess it works like all common media these days and the algorithms you choose, <laughs> where it will feed you it will feed you what the algorithms and what you want to see, uh, which is good because, like, for example, the things I follow mainly are the golf, the NFL, uh, finance and crypto, uh, and which is very well covered, very well balanced on that. And and then it'll give you the main, the big hitting news that day as well at the same time. But there's a lot of rogue Sun and Mirrors articles that quite hit a lot of there as well. <laughs> But I guess that's because they're probably the free online newspapers that <laughs> that are supplied by Apple, where prestigious papers like the Telegraph are not are not. Uh, you have to pay for them in, in the Times. Absolutely, three three pounds a month if you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so get but they they have to make money at the same time as well. So it's quite clickbaity, where you see an interesting article, and you have to say, oh, you have to subscribe for the nine ninety nine. But I don't fall for it. Right, Dan. Number two. My number two is the Apple Podcasts app. Not number one. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to ask me that a couple of months ago, I would have, it wouldn't have been on my list. But, you know, all the all the travelling I do for work to and from, you know, that amounts to about not 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 far off three hours of travelling, so I've got plenty of free time. So I've, I've really got into listening to podcasts. Not our own, obviously. I, d- I don't want to be a total narcissist. But... Uh, yeah, really enjoy it. Really accessible. Loads of great content. Sometimes it's the way it sort of makes connections between you've listened to this, so you might like this. It's a bit off, but there's a lot. There's a lot of really good stuff, and they they have such a large catalogue that if you find one online that's referenced somewhere, or if you you hear about one, then it's usually nine times out of ten you'll find it there. Ninety nine out of a hundred times you'll probably find it there. So I'll, I'll sneak it in at number two. But I didn't say where it would have been about two months ago because it would have been way down the list. Very interesting. Yeah, Gregor, number two. I just kicked this one out. It was going to be easy. It, it, it was easy XKCD, which is the webcomic series. Just for what it is, it's really good to look through. But this, that's been bumped for after you mentioned the PGA Tour, Neil. Um, so the PGA Tour app has been 
up to number one. It's it's probably the one I use most often. The PG Tour app. I find it very, it's, but I guess it's very data heavy. But it's so slow. Really, I don't think it is. I think it's really up to date. It must be to all the leaderboards and shots and everything. I probably prefer. Well, I do prefer the iPad version because you can see the shots or the tablet version because you can see the sh- where they they play their shots and where you, wherever other players played their shots that played that hole. You just get a lot more information. Compared to the phone app, before. what has he got? A picture. Yeah, so you get a picture of the hole, and then you get every player's shots of what this like, where all the birdies first, like the first shots birdies were, and, and things. You don't get all that. In- I've seen it in the laptop. Yeah, I've seen it in the laptop. Yeah, but yeah, it's still, you still get the all that. Infor- you don't get all that information, but you still get a lot of the information on the phone app, and I I use it all the time, most weeks. Interesting one. Number two from me is I'm gonna. I'm following Dan in this one as the podcast app. Oh, yeah, dancer. Should have been number one, really. You said it now, you've committed. Tough. I know. Well, this is my second most used app. Used app. It's just, uh, yeah, I do spend a lot of time in the car. A lot of time in the car. Well, I certainly did anyway. Um, and just the podcast I listen to, there's so much variety. There's, as, as I've mentioned to you guys, podcasts uh, usually should be either funny or funny or um, informative and there's so much content on there. Uh, which is ironic for the podcast that you're involved with. <laughs> which we we try and deliver a source of both, uh, a, a, balanced, a balanced amount of both, where I listen to, yeah, I listen to comedians and I listen to doctors and there's quite a lot on there. There's and you could. I went through a long phase, even more so now. Actually, I don't listen to. I cancelled my Apple Music subscription because I just listen to music on podcasts now, which has kind of taken over from SoundCloud in that way, where there's a lot, where there's a lot of like DJs and things playing. So I would, I would use podcasts as that instead because they've got weekly episodes, and there's a lot of ones to choose from with weekly episodes. Where SoundCloud, you're relying on a particular artist, uh, which is really good. So yeah, uh, well, actually, go as far as say I use that most. Oh, nine times out of ten, if I'm listening to any media, it will be podcasts. One of your phones or in the car, or Patreon, but we can. That's a paid for app. Yeah. So <laughs> podcasts. Uh, so number one, this. I mean, for something that consumes most of our, not most of our lives, but a lot of our lives. What is, what is your number one phone app? The number one app I probably use is Flash Score, the sports score update app, because I'm I'm sports daft, you know, any sport really, and I'm always keeping an eye on what's going on in games and tables and goal scorers and cards and corners and penalties and touchdowns and tries and three-point shots and, you know, home runs and everything like that. I'm always... I'm just obsessed because I like knowing stuff. And the problem with sport is sport's always about knowing stuff because if you don't know what's going on, then you're totally out of the loop. But it's a really good app, really accessible. I, I enjoy using it. it you, you can set set parameters to what notifications you want. So if, if, if it's, for example, football, then we would have, you know, goal scorer, corners, cards, something like that, when the game starts, when it's half time. So you can actually put get a lot of information out of it. And they're very up to date. And they also tell you when or they tell you what games are on TV as well. So if you're looking for what, what sports are on the TV, 
it's really good for that as well. But yeah, that's my numero uno. Gregor, number one app ever. Uh, this is going to come with some sort of preload as well. Um, but you've got some honorable mentions here. Uh, PayPal, PayPal, HMR, HMRC app, eBay, that's been well utilised. <laughs> HMRC? Yeah. You can check your pension, how much you're going to be entitled to. I'd thoroughly recommend it. Headspace, that's another good one. So a meditation and mindfulness app. We get it. We get the pro version free so it works. That's good. And Messenger's good. Skybet, Google Maps, Google Calendar. But the one I've went with, Dan, it was your number three, Duolingo. Oh. I probably didn't use it as much as I uh, ought to. But I started Japanese lessons, so I presume you guys know, pre, pre-COVID. But then uh, I couldn't do... Well, it was the, the last year. But then the next term, what would have been the next term was cancelled because of the COVID restrictions. But I think it's going to start back up just again remotely. So I'm going to try to get back into it. And I have used the Duolingo app in the past where I've been visiting countries that I don't know the language of. Well, any other country basically doesn't speak English. comes in that category. (laughs) So it's always good to kind of go through that the first few few weeks that you're, like a month or so before you you, you go, go to the country. Um, but then it's been good for Japanese. I think I did that maybe two or three years ago. So I've, I've worked through that a few times, just the first few lessons to get uh, familiar with the alphabet or the katakana, hiragana uh, characters at least. But yeah, my number one, Jilingo. Very good. Yeah, and your number one, you <laughs> My number one is where I'd assume people would have... I'm, I'm very surprised this isn't made in, into anyone's top three or top one is WhatsApp. Oh, yeah. WhatsApp has absolutely revolutionised the text and text message industry. I wanted to avoid social media. It's not social media. It's a text message platform. Yes, it is. No, it's it's, it's social media. No, I'd say it's a text message platform as well. Well, it's, it's age-restricted up to 16 and it falls under the social media guidelines. Yeah, but there's no there's no media behind it. It's your message and your friends and group mess. It's where the home of group messaging is the least clunky it's, and the way the one the one area it's really excelled in is the end to end encryption which you know how that you guys how you know how that works yeah so you both hold the private keys to your messages not even facebook can ask catch your messages although i do question why i would type in something like pringles into whatsapp and all of a sudden i'd open up whatsapp um instagram and i would find a pringle advert so <laughs> i i Refute some of that, but yeah, the or maybe change, and there's what's it called as well, uh, Instagram as well. That's all linked. Yeah, and but, well, it's all the same company to be fair, but they still shouldn't. They still they they still don't hold the private key to that chat for the encryption. Yeah, it's just it's changed the world of text messaging. No one really text messages anymore. Even companies use WhatsApp. I suppose why Sky's went to Messenger, but even. I mean, everyone's just going to WhatsApp now. Um, you're hard-pressed to find someone that doesn't have WhatsApp that you'd have to text. I guess I'm just not really that much of a fan of the group chats. Why not? You're in one. You're in two. <laughs> you're in two that I'm in. <laughs> I'm in loads. Three that I'm in. <laughs> Four. You're in five. You're about five that I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a whole lot more. I'm in a whole lot more as well. But it's just... But I don't think I like... It's, it's already for a small number of people. Like, up to five is fine, especially if you know the people really well. 
but I'm just not a fan of this whole big group chat thing. I've not got many. The only active conversations I've got, there's maybe like seven. The most active, there's seven. And maybe sometimes the other ones will just be used for organising nights out for groups of people. Well, even today, I've had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight group chats. This isn't single people chats. This is eight group chats I've had today go off. And I've replied to one, two, three, four of them. So I've replied to half of them. I would I would think it's, that's a good thing. But, th- I mean, this is part of the reason I've got the Nokia, because... <laughs> so much nonsense. A lot of this I don't worry here. Like, I, I'm, I'm not comfortable. I don't think I'm comfortable either posting to these group chats. And, like, it's a, it's a big thing communicating, especially written communication, because you lose the nuance of that you get in oral communication. It depends who you know in it. Yeah, exactly. And so... If you know, even people, even if I knew eight people really well, it's still a lot different than it is from talking to a person. There's a lot more care that needs to be taken, I think. Or I certainly put a lot more care into my messages when it's going into a lot of people. And it's, it's just stressful when I know I'm going to need a reply to that at some point. And there's going to be eight people looking at it, or ten people looking at it. And you, I need to take, I need to draft it properly. I I agree entirely with you because I'm in I'm in groups which have five plus people in it. Not family, not family groups. So, you know, I'm talking about, I'm like professional groups as well. And I'm the same. I'm always thinking, how do I word this in a way? Because I've got 8, 10, 12, however many people here. I have to factor in the responses, the potential responses from all these people. How am I sure that what I'm about to say? Because I know what I'm about to say. Well, I don't know what. The chances are what I'm about to say is not going to appeal to at least one person in this conversation. Yeah. Whereas if you're talking if you if you're talking in a group, like you say something, that's it gone. Whereas if you post it to a group, it could be Oh, I can't believe such and such has said that. Look at look at this, can you believe this? What's going on now? Whereas if you say if if it's spoken, that's it, it's it's for it's over. Generally my chats generally my chats will be very, very casual and but I'm I brought this is I brought up the the social dilemma earlier in the week, but I believe this is also why WhatsApp's so popular is because when you do put a question out or a comment out to even just a very relaxed comment about like a new normally it's like someone like you'll like share a news article or something, um, and then you'll get like five or six replies and it's just lots of dopi- lots of little dopamine hits you get because. Your 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 brain has been trained to relax, um, respond to these phone notifications, constant notifications. And I think that's what WhatsApp feeds into. Is you get the, the I mean, it's just I'm constantly with it's just it's a barrage of information. It's a barrage of WhatsApp messages constantly. And then you look at your phone, and if there's not even if there's not been a comment for three hours on your WhatsApp, you're thinking, well, this is a quiet day. Obviously, we just we we have a we don't really have a detailed discussion where we discuss what our topics are going to be, and I and I said to you, Neil, when you said about you know apps, but also like you just said there, there's that there's that social reactionary factor which exists within social media social media, whether WhatsApp social media or not it doesn't matter, but within anything like that, it's all about the responses. And when I was at university. All those years ago, one of the, I did modern. One of the things I did was modern philosophy, and there's a school of thought called the Frank the Frankfurt School, and it was in the 1930s, and it was in Frankfurt in Germany, 
and they did something called critical theory. And critical theory is ba is basically the critical analysis of everything. So anything that happens, anything that exists, anything that gains a response or requires a response, anything like that, it it, it needs to be. It's like why, why, why? What is the what is the working behind that? Uh, one of the things I had to do was I had to write an essay, and we had to write about something which you had to look into, like. The, the nitty gritty details of and actually take in what was being said and what what why it or they or whatever it was existed and going into into the you know talk about it in a critical way and i chose facebook and this was back 2011 somewhere like that and you know at the time facebook was facebook wasn't what it is now facebook was all about you know and facebook now is all about liking pages and your and adverts and your 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 pages are now just filled with adverts and groups and all that stuff but back then it was always about people and you saw what people were doing and you were liking people's statuses or people were liking yours and you were talking to people and you were commenting on stuff and one of the things that i i wrote about was was that it is it's it's now it's this need to be accepted and to be acknowledged and that's the problem now is that we've become so dependent on the the endorphins we receive from positive feedback positive comments even just a like I mean, facebook now you got like and you've got love and you've got care and you've got angry you got shocked and stuff like that so it's a lot more emotive but even though we think that what we're receiving is positive the entire process of it isn't it doesn't make any sense that we it makes sense that we we desire it and that we need it but it's the fact that the companies like facebook know how to milk the emotions from us and to get that that need and that response and to get what they want which is more contact time because we we want to be on facebook more or on whatsapp or on twitter or instagram or anything because we want we become addicted to that acknowledgement because when you're on social media all the time you're very isolated even though you think you're surrounded by people you're really not i disagree with that you are because you're in constant contact with your peers but you're not really it's like gregor says talking to somebody and being in that moment is a lot more than sending a message if, if i send you guys a message you've got hours to reply because you can choose to go i need to wait i'm going to think about this i'll get back to it later it's and but then i'm waiting for a reply but i don't know why you know it's all become psychological it's a psychological there's there's a lot more psychology in it now oh absolutely there has been for has been for the last two decades from the days of tumblr or myspace yes it's constant celebrities now are people who gain the most likes and comments on social media. I was going to bring this. I was actually going to bring this up in the news section of this. The one, the one biggest hate I have for the news area is that you see it on TV, you see it everywhere. It's a news article we based around if someone commented on someone else's picture. If she's not saying anything more ridiculous, I, I don't get, I don't get that news. <laughs> yeah, but you well, you don't use mainstream news enough. But it's just co it's constantly like, it's just constantly about who's liking whose picture and then you try and just like dislike it on the iPhone app so you don't get more of it. But it comes back. But yeah, it comes. It's, the news will be even on you watch 
um, say this morning. I know it's a chat show and it's meant to be in jest, but it'll be about what people are doing on Instagram sometimes. And yeah, it's not good. I think we, it's, it's very clickbait. Feeding the brain's emotions. Well, thanks very much for that, Neil. Good top ten. Um, I think my number one's the best, though. WhatsApp's unbelievable. Again, plenty more sub-conversation. I'm sure that'll drive a lot of our topics for the next few weeks. Uh, but now we're on to Conspiracy Corner. And Cryptozoology. Dan, what have you got for us this week? So, I didn't actually know what I was going to do for this week until I was sitting there minding my own business, all this free time I've got, and watching an episode of... Uh, ancient aliens as i do in my free time i'm such a such a sociable person like that and it was kind of funny because mixed in all the rubbish that you actually get there was i thought this was quite interesting because but i'll kind of get to the point why it's interesting later on because it's an interesting theme so the the theme of this uh, conspiracy corner is about something called the mysterious nine have either of you heard of the mysterious nine not until this week. Yeah, not until this week. Just say, just say yes, Neil, because you watched some of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did watch the episode. I know nothing other than the name. That's that's. Be- I tell you what, I try. I tried to find a document or something that would actually be used rather than the episode for research, and unfortunately, it doesn't appear to be one that exists. So it shows how I suspect this actually is. <laughs> I've got no academic sources. Even within the conspiracy world, this is this is far fetched, dubious, <laughs> <laughs> super dubious. So uh, yeah, so the kind of the premise of the whole thing starts off with uh, a chap called Paul Hellier, who was Transport and National Defence Minister for Canada way back in the nineteen sixties and nineteen seventies. So where we were back when, and in two thousand and five, he came forward. Uh, with comments with regards to the fact that we have been visited by aliens, aliens have visited the world, uh, our planet, and you know we have had contact with them. And it wasn't until 2014 that, I use this very loosely, he began to be taken seriously. And his, his claim was that there was a council or federation of uh, alien species who were watching over us and watching over Earth and monitoring what we were doing and sort of guiding us in one way or another. Now, this this was supported, this argument was, I use that loosely, supported by uh, experiments that were performed at Edgewood Arsenal in the USA in 19, started in 1952, and they were, the experiments were done under the codename Project Penguin, and it was led by a guy called Andrei Puharic, and this guy was put in charge of this project. And it was all about channeling. It was focused on a lot of things, a lot of sort of supernaturally, sort of psychic, parapsychic kind of thing, parapsychology sort of experiments. And one of the things they focused on was channeling. And this was designed so that they would actually channel spirits, channel ghosts, channel entities from other planes of existence and other parts of the universe. And the big the, the big hit for them was when what in one occasion uh, somebody who was doing it it was a guy called DJ Binod and he was apparently a very famous medium channeler and he contacted he made contact with these beings known as the Nine. Now the the main contender in this the Nine who he spoke to was, called, was claimed to be called Atom. 
and Atom is one of the name of one of the nine gods of ancient Egypt, one of the nine sort of main pantheon gods of ancient Egypt. And he claimed, this Atom claimed, that the nine had been watching over humanity and supervising it and sort of guiding it in a way. And, you know, obviously in the world of ancient aliens and in the world of you know, channeling and parapsychology and all that type of stuff. It's, it's obviously very popular, became very popular, and then they start trying to get circles to fit into rectangle shapes or triangles to try and fit into <laughs> rectangle, you know, that type of nonsense. Because then they said, well, hang on a minute. There, there are other, other religions which are similar. You know, the ancient Egyptians had nine main gods and apparently these nine main gods are actually these extraterrestrial entities and there are other societies that and other religions and other cultures that do the same so examples that are offered is that in Taoism, the uh, an asian religion there are nine emperor gods and these nine emperor gods they have a festival every year and that they come from somewhere they come from one of the the nine stars associated with the the Big Dipper. So there's seven stars in the Big Dipper, and then there's two sort of obscured stars, which are harder to see. And apparently each one comes from one of those stars, and they were sent here to, to run and to supervise the world. The Aztecs believe in the Lords of the Night. There was nine of them. The Norse and North mythology, the mythology believe that nine gods survived Ragnarok, which is sort of the, the Norse equivalent of the apocalypse at the end of the world. So nine gods survived that. In Buddhism, uh, the emperor Ashoka uh, consulted the nine unknown men who were apparently all-knowing, all-seeing beings who he consulted when he was emperor. The Etruscans, who were a civilization that lived in modern-day Italy before the Romans, the Romans came along and took everything over. They had nine main gods, and the Greeks, even though they had twelve basic Olympian gods, Zeus led a council of nine gods. So there's another nine in there as well. They've thrown in for good measure. So you know, if you if you dig deep enough and you know you're looking for a particular niche thing that justifies your particular niche opinion, then there's plenty out there. Uh, the the whole thing seems to even even back at the even back at the time when the events at Edgewood Arsenal were taking place, there was something that was also happening with regards to the presidency of the United States. At the time, you had Ike Eisenhower as president, and supposedly a being visited Eisenhower and the presidency and he spoke to the president and you know the joint chiefs and the minister you know the secretary of defense and all the people in charge of all the important stuff and his name was valiant thor what a name that is i mean that's the type of name you'd expect to you expect kids to be called these days to be honest but uh, yeah back then apparently there's a valiant thor who came from outer space and he'd been sent by the high council and due to sort of tell us the error of our ways and to try and deter us from using nuclear weapons and you know he claimed, this Valiant Thor claimed that the nuclear weapons had become an interstellar concern, so other civilizations around the galaxy or universe had become concerned about the fact we were using nuclear weapons at the time. Obviously, this was during the Cold War, and Valiant Thor hung around for three years, and then he vanished. But there are, there are pictures of him, there are pictures of him, and there are people who met him, and there are, you know, and not just sort of, I'm not talking your, your, your classic, 
your classic characters from uh, ancient aliens with their hair all tufted up and looking like they haven't slept in about seven days because they've been they've been busy researching why the rock outside keeps moving. Um, you know, these are people who who were in uh, in, a, in key government positions, and they even even an interview with Eisenhower's granddaughter, which was which was a little bit surreal. To or was it a great? Maybe a great granddaughter, his great granddaughter, and that was a bit surreal. Saying, "Oh, Eisenhower used to say this, and he said he met Valiant Thor, and so you know, it's, it's up to speculation." But what what interested me more about this was the fact that. It actually got into pop culture, like a lot of this kind of this this notion of alien races somehow coming down to you know that's that's kind of like a key cornerstone of the whole ancient aliens mythos is that we have been visited by aliens and they have intervened in our society and they've intervened in the development of humanity and everything like that as we've spoken about before, but on this occasion. There are, you know, there there's pop, popular culture examples of this, and probably one of the oldest one is the film "The Day the Earth Stood Still." Have either of you seen that? I've not. No, I've not. That the Keanu Reeves one, the original, not the remake. Um, ah, yeah, Keanu Reeves was obviously the remake, but the I always think of the original. Original's best, and that you know the premise of that is an alien has been sent to Earth to tell us the error of our ways and that we must correct ourselves, otherwise we're going to be wiped out. Uh, which is sort of falls in line with this whole mysterious nine, this whole council federation of aliens kind of thing watching over us. And then more recently, there's been things such as the X Files, where sort of one of the the key undertones of the series of X Files is the fact that aliens are trying to colonize Earth, and there's sort of like this this conspiracy of aliens interfering in Earth and trying to take take Earth over from the inside. Um, which is a bit more uh, <clears throat> nefarious, I suppose. But you know, Stargate. You know, there's a whole principle in Stargate of there's a there's you know I forget is it four or five groups of alien races in the universe who form sort of like a a group a council, and they you know they work together to sort of bring harmony and peace to the universe and to make the universe a better place. And I think finally, Star Trek. The principle of the prime directive that the the principle of the federation is that they don't intervene in other cultures who are less developed. If they're pre pre warp drive capabilities, they don't they don't interfere with them. They don't have any contact with them because they don't influence them in any way. And so, if you think of the federation as a collection of worlds and planets and civilizations and cultures that all come together and try to make the universe a better place. So it's you know it's the same principle, and there's also there's also a brilliant claim actually in the program that links Star Trek to the Mysterious Nine and the whole the whole, especially with the the Val- Valiant Thor thing, was apparently Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, met Valiant Thor, and so that obviously and he was aware of the conversations that were going on, and that influenced him in his creation of Star Trek, and sort of. You know, the things that Valiant Thor had said influenced how he wanted the human race to turn out and to end up and where we were actually going to lead to. And some of the technology apparently was based on what he'd heard as well. So, yes, I mean, that's that's, that's the Mysterious Nine in all in all their mysterious nine shaped wonder. Why was there nine? Why didn't they like even numbers? I found that just as easy to follow as the programme, Dan. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. I think the the first alarming thing came up is when it it started to rise up and when it started to, to gain traction was 2014, similar time where the flat, flat th- Earth theory started to gain traction. Maybe there's a correlation. Maybe there needs to be a study done. The age of the nutter, when did that really begin? I mean, it started off, yeah, I found the TV program, I've watched it as well, and just seemed to stray off into all these different areas where I didn't really actually get to the core of what the Mysterious Nine were. They were overpowering gods. It, it, it's classic ancient aliens tactic is we're going to talk about this, but actually we're going to stray off so far off the beaten path where we were wildly in the wrong direction and no one's going to have a bloody clue what's going on. The, the crux of the Mysterious Nine actually never got much airtime on that TV show. So Gregor, you want to weigh in on your thoughts on the Mysterious Nine? Oh yeah, well, it's clearly nonsense again. Well, well, ob- obviously Gregor, you, you totally believe it because if Gene Roddenberry said and if Ike said it was true, it must be true. It's always nice to see Giorgio A. Sucalis or whatever his name is. Sucola, Sucalis. Yeah, it's nice that they, they bring him out and he's got his wee tufty hair and He's always having a good time. I just think it's interesting because I found it like I found it most interesting was when I started thinking about it. When I was writing it down, I thought, well, it's actually got a lot of correlation to popular culture. Um, you know, there's a lot of that. I mean, you think of, I mean, I don't think we'll ever talk about it as a topic, but things like the hollow earth theory, where apparently there's nothing in the middle of the earth apart from something else. And that theory that's become popular in the same way that the flat earth and that the mysterious nine and stuff like that become popular is is it's not a new idea i mean you know jane to the center of the earth that was jules verne wasn't it and that was written a hundred plus years ago so it's just recycling ideas that was a work of fiction though well exactly well yeah exactly that's that's what i'm saying though it's 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 this recycling of something like you know the day the earth stood still the x-files stargate star trek they're all a work of fiction but it's like you know they get these ideas get recycled and we're living in an age now where anything goes you know we don't we don't have i don't think we we don't have the the checks and balances because everything's so accessible now that you know these things get sucked away and when you know the moment you say that government officials and stuff were part of it it just it just fans the flames even more well thanks very much for another conspiracy corner dan looking forward to what you've got for us in a fortnight's time and is there anything else you want to pick up on before we sign off guys okay i think that was well covered well covered. Another well covered episode. Put that to bed. Put those topics to bed, hopefully. Absolutely. Well, in that case, uh, we'll see you next time, folks. And don't forget, you can get us get a hold of us at can I interject podcast at gmail.com. Hit us with any suggestions you might have, any feedback. Um, again, if you want to be a guest, probably get that sorry as well. Someone please message us. <laughs> any email, just to just to let us know you're out there. <laughs> you can also hit us up on Twitter at at Can I Interject. Until next time, it's a goodbye from me, Gregor. It's a goodbye from me. And a goodbye from me. Thanks, everyone. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fact Check for episode number nine fairly light touch this week. I think we all did a fantastic job. Just one fact check for me this this episode. Uh, it was on the council tax. I think I said the last valuation was in 1990 but in fact in England it was 1991 and Wales 2003 and in Scotland um, well, you, can, you can take this as an opportunity to fact check yourselves, listeners. So Council tax hasn't risen in 20 years. 30 years. No, the valuation of the properties. So I said that council tax based on property value in 1990, but it's based on property value in 1991 for England. But that was it for me. Uh, I don't know if you guys 
quite innocent. Uh, I, I, I thought it was. I thought it was fine. I tried a, an alternative way of editing it, and I didn't hear anything bad. So that's always positive. And yeah, I thought it was quite. <laughs> some of it's quite entertaining in parts. Um, made me chuckle plenty. Not as entertaining as the un, not as un- entertaining as the unedited version because. What as I said, I, t- I, t- I took out an hour and 20 minutes in total from the original recording. So, needless to say, humble listener, there was, a <laughs> there was quite a lot of additional content. Yeah, I don't think we're doing a disservice to you cutting that material out. You're really getting the the best bits. <laughs> it says it all, really. Uh, but yeah, good bit of banter, I thought, this time. Up, step step up for episode eight. <laughs> Everything's been a step up since the golf one. A return to normality. But no, I've got nothing else to add. Neil? I've not, no further comments, apart from I've had a good three weeks not hearing Ian Blackford's name. Oh, no, he's mentioned it now. Oh, the blood pressure's boiling. <laughs> blood pressure's boiling. Fact check just got a whole lot longer. <laughs> I know. That was it. That was that was the trick with the, the political segment was... <laughs> to actually edit it so we didn't have to A, do excessive quantities of fact-checking, which thankfully we clearly didn't, and B, we didn't get sued for defamation of character. Yes. Uh, and that I, think that refers, I think that refers to every single person that was mentioned. And we've only got one fact-check, that's good. I don't, I don't tend to fact-check the things that you two are clearly reading, I will be honest. I presume you were able to do your own sort of primary research on the internet. I am. <laughs> yeah, I am to a certain degree, yes. Yeah. I might start checking them. That's the point, actually. I was thinking about this today, because I don't... I uh, don't know if you know about this, humble listeners, but I, I do zero preparatory notes on my topics every week. Of course, I read up on them, and I have a vague idea of the topic, like the points that I want to raise and discuss. But I don't know, do you guys have almost pre-written statements that you, you follow for your topics every week? Because that really, wow, Dan's holding up a full sheet of handwritten four by the looks of it. To start with, we're, yeah, it depends, it depends on the topic. If I'm going to do something that's kind of facts and evidence, uh, something like the cryptocurrency one and the, and, um, what other ones are Um But I've, all, I've always got notes, like bullet points. But I might start doing that. Even this, I've got some bullet points. I always think it's important to have the information down because usually the information I have is quite extensive, so I can't remember it all, and I run the risk of making a mistake. So that's not what I want to do. I'm get picked up in the fact check. We'll need to we'll need to tally up, uh, tally up the fact checks actually. Maybe reveal that in the next few episodes. Yeah, thanks very much for your input, guys, and another episode in the bag. Roll on episode ten. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening, and thank goodbye from me, Gregor, and from Neil. Cheers, guys.